Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And I am extra specially pleased to welcome all our friends through the listening universe to this episode of the Little Brown School and Library podcast, for our guest is one star of word and paragraph, master or mistress of sound and punctuation, one Monica Brown. <gasps> We're bringing the jazz hands and the spirit fingers. (laughs) Monica, you are the author of the Lola Levine series for Little Brown Books for Young Readers, as well as books for, as we say in the business, other houses. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. That was an awesome introduction. Well, I will say that on a Wednesday afternoon, um, I can't even remember when it was, but it was a Wednesday afternoon. I know this because it's every Wednesday afternoon when we have this meeting. Uh, our friend, Nikki Garcia, uh, junior editrix and uh, star-to-be, uh, came with a project called Lola Levine, a wondrous chapter book series that she wanted to do. And I said, yes, please, ma'am, may I have some more? And please, ma'am, may I have some more right now? So I was so very pleased when you decided to join us on the Little Brown Books for Young Readers list with Lola. Uh, Lola Levine is a series of books about, you know, obviously Lola Levine. And I, I venture to say she is extraordinary in her own special way. She's not quirky. She doesn't have a superpower. She does not have, um, an amazeballs talent that makes her stand out. She's just Lola. And she's kind of delightful. You know, uh, Monica, Lola Levine as a character and as a series inhabits a strange land called Chapter Books. Uh, This is a book that needs to rely on text to depict characters uh, as opposed to pictures in a picture book. Uh, And it has an additional uh, challenge in that it's restricted in text length. So every word choice matters. Uh, Can you discuss your approach to discovering or creating Lola as a character, uh, given these technical challenges? Sure. I love this age of reader, and I love this age um, in general. I like uh, the genre, and I don't think it gets enough respect, because these books, these chapter books for children that range from, you know, parents reading to their kindergartners to new readers first, second, third graders. Um, it's their first novel. They're, they're the first novel a child will ever read on their own, probably. And it's a complex world, even though it's, it's the form is somewhat short. There's plots, subplots, and world creation. And I think it can really start kids off right with a love of reading, and that's what's amazing about series. If you can't get enough of Lola, then you don't have to get enough of Lola because you get to move on to her next adventure. So it can be challenging, I guess, but I was used to writing picture books. I have over 20 picture books for children, and so having seven, eight, nine thousand words actually felt really liberating and exciting. What was different was I wasn't writing directly for artists, even though uh, Angela Dominguez did an amazing job with the covers and the illustrations. I was writing without having to think about illustratable action and limited number of spreads. So um, the character, what's funny about the story of how she came, I 
sounds a little um, mystical, but I swear she was born almost fully formed in my head as a character. But I can tell you, Victoria, if you're interested, some of the reasons that were inspirations for her birth, and they aren't too pretty. So are you ready to hear them? Uh, yeah, yeah. We are not afraid here. Little Brown School and Library podcasters are not afraid. So part of why I wanted to write a girl like Lola, who's competitive and a little loud, a little noisy and kind of inclined to make mischief um, was because of my own daughters and this idea of how we think about competitive girls, girls that want to win, girls that are fierce. And I think while that's sometimes tolerated and certainly celebrated with boys in terms of athletics and things, it's not always the case with girls. And so I remember I happen to have uh, two daughters that are really good at the math. And I wasn't, I'm an English professor, English teacher, but my daughters are little math uh, prodigies compared to me at their age. <laughs> and I remember going in to my first parent-teacher conference. Um, I think it was early, it was middle school. And the teacher looked at me and the first thing he said to me was, do you ever let your children frolic in the snow? And I said, what do you mean? And I think he was concerned because my daughter had this crazy, like, 115% in her math class, and she ended up skipping that class and going to a higher one. But I almost sensed disapproval. Um, and that next year, the, the school my children attended canceled the honor science class. I think it was the eighth grade um, because I was told by the head of the science department, he said that there were, um, the class would have been all girls. And so they decided not to have it. And I thought, how absurd that there's a, a place where the girls um, are rocking it, rocking it science. And they think that that wouldn't, be a useful thing. I thought it would be an amazing thing. And so I've seen and thought about this duality in girls, this like, if my one daughter's a ballerina, my one daughter's a soccer player. And I, I saw my ballerina, you know, we think of pink and we think of delicateness and beauty and grace, but I know that, you know, her point shoes have blood stains on them. And the same with soccer. I've grown up with my daughter who is a phenomenal soccer player and she's phenomenal in her passion about it. And so I thought, what about those girls that are jocks? That doesn't mean they don't, you know, like nail polish. That doesn't mean they don't uh, confound stereotypes. But I wanted to create a character that was competitive and that it was okay to be that way. And so Lola sort of was the amalgamation of all those things. First of all, I I would have said you broke my mind with that science class story, except sadly, you didn't break my mind. That happens. And I'm still kind of appalled that in the 21st century it happens, but it does. I, this is interesting to me that you went with the topic of, of female ambition and, and female drive in girls. This has been something I've been thinking about quite a bit lately in fiction for young people, both boys and girls, 
what are the depictions of female ambition and what are the depictions of female competence. That's just fascinating to me how we as adults are uncomfortable, can be uncomfortable with, with that stance, and how do we translate that in the books we give to kids, either through publishing or recommending. Absolutely. And you know what's so funny? You mentioned that Lola Levine is amazing, not because she has a superpower. And I probably shouldn't mention it, but a house really wanted this book if I gave her a superpower. And I was talking with my best friend, who's a writer also, and she said, how about if her superpower is that she's this amazing biracial, bicultural, smart, competitive girl that exists in the world and stays true to herself. And I think that's cool because I kind of um, would have this joke with my own girls growing up saying, I would tell them all the things moms say, you're sweet, you're my sunshine, you're my, you know, you make me feel filled with joy, but I'd also tell them, you're just coming into your powers <laughs> as though they were superheroes. Cause I think I like to think of all little girls and really we could say all human beings, but there's something about that time when girls um, are learning what they love and it might be art and, or it might be um, animals and loving animals and working for the humane society, or it might be a sport or it might be math. But I like to think that our young women and young girls, especially at that marvelous age where they're six, seven, eight, and nine, have superpowers and they come into them as they get older. And then they get to be us, Victoria, full-blown female superheroes, <laughs> of course, with deep, of course, with very deep flaws in the dark side, but, but fighting for the light. I think it's uh, charming that you assume I'm fighting for the light, but that is another <laughs> podcast, and my mom is listening, so we do have to keep this mom-friendly here just a little bit. Okay. But you and I will retreat to an adult lair, and, and we'll swap stories. Um, it's interesting okay. to me that we this concept of female ambition and even ferocity – uh, is something that we're becoming gradually more comfortable with. I do love the idea of Lola's superpower is her confidence and her refusal to perceive her ambition as abnormal. Uh, it's And one, of course, because everything is about me. Sorry, listeners, you've been listening to through 30 episodes. You know this is true. Everything is about me. Um, as a young person... And I want no comments from the peanut gallery on this. I had an unsmooth personality. I know. So I really relate as a reader to Lola because I perceive her as having an unsmooth personality because it just doesn't occur to her that she should shrink herself or um, flatten herself to accommodate other people. And I kind of love that because maybe when I think about Lola as an adult, it will not take her until the age of 45 to say, yes, I am good at my job. And yes, I'm going to say that out loud to you. And no, it is not a matter for discussion. That is fantastic. I love hearing that. And I love that I'm 
46, so I'm happy to share my wisdom with you, Victoria, if you want it. Um, so Lola is unsmooth, and that is a perfect word because the fact of the matter is that, unfortunately, with children, as in with life, not everyone's roads are equally smooth. So... Unfortunately, I was a kid that had a few bumps along the way, um, some serious ones, actually, when I, as I grew and books were part of my escape and hope. And, um, and so I write for those kids that both the kids that can read with joy and pleasure and laughter because they have families that support literacy and support them. And for those kids who might all might not always have that support and want to open a book and see what um, how someone else copes with certain things, and no, she's not. She does not have a smooth personality, and she makes mistakes. In the first book, Lola so wants to win that she actually does an illegal slide tackle um, on the field and ends up hurting her friend Juan, and she apologizes and she thinks about it. She's so confident in the second book of the series, Lola Levine, Drama Queen, that she assumes she's going to get the leading role in the school play. And she has, for the first time in her life, a little case of stage fright. And she works through that. Um, and so it's, you, it's not that she is so confident she never has any challenges, but those challenges don't disturb the core of who who she is. One thing I'll say about my mom is she always told me you could do absolutely anything you want in the world. And as a result, my, my sister, my brother, and I have all uh, done really interesting, creative things. And I think she gave us that power. And I hope that when children read about Lola, you know, when she has a challenge, she goes to work. Um, like when she... Uh, in the in the fourth book, and she needs to find a home for an animal. Her and her friends mobilize and make posters and and uh, canvas the neighborhood. So, so I do hope that that's something that is useful because I think we have a lot of naughty kids in literature, but I think that's a little different from being, as you say, unsmooth. I, I think one you're. Thing to be bratty and another thing to be kind of have a big personality. <laughs> yes. Have a big personality and perhaps uh, outside the boundaries of social acceptability in a good way, yeah. in a good way, expanding yeah. our horizons of what's possible emotionally and socially. Um, I want to go back a little bit to technique because we began talking about this. Uh, these books are chapter books and they inhabit um, a, almost a mathematically restricted format. It's uh, interesting. I had, a, I had a, a professor in graduate school who talked about poetry as m not so much in terms of rhyme scheme or rhythm, but as, as, a, as an act of math almost that there was certain numerical restrictions uh, in poetic forms that require dictated word choices. So I'm intrigued, mm -hmm. you know, in thinking that every word counts. I mean, you talked about the luxury of the number of words that you have, uh, but then it's still restricted. How did you choose words that would really uh, uh, give you the most 
uh, bang for your buck. Boy, I hate that phrase. <laughs> I had so much fun with that part of it because I do think about form in, in picture books and certainly in chapter books. So for the Lola books, there are a few things that might not be apparent to the casual reader. Um, and that is that each book has eight chapters. I like the idea of the first few lines circling back in chapter one um, to the to the first few lines in chapter eight. So I, I did that in each of the books. Um, and one of the places I had a lot of fun with in terms of every word counting is that if you just look um, at the table of contents, the chapters of each chapter subtitle, and I had fun with them because I knew that Angela Dominguez would do an amazing job illustrating them. They're really fun. Um, for example, in Lil Levine is Not Mean, here are the chapter titles. Hello, Goodbye, and Peace, Chapter 1. The Orange Smoothies, Chapter 2. Five-Minute Warning Bell, Chapter 3. And Mean Lola Levine, Chapter 4. Um, and it goes on and on. Other chapter titles are Pencil Power and Meow Meow and Wrigley Science. And, of course, in that book, it ends Hello, Goodbye, and Peace one more time. And I had really a lot of fun um, with things like that, um, trying to summarize the, the, the arcs in each chapter. And I made, one thing that was important to me is that each and every chapter was informed by humor because for me, humor has been uh, useful in just about every single situation. Mm. And I wanted that to be present in Lola's toolbox and her family's. Mm -hmm. um, and so in terms of, of technique, I thought about that and what kind of adventures a girl like Lola could get into. And I made myself laugh, so hopefully I made readers laugh. And so in terms of every word counting and what I wanted to have the end experience after closing the book on the final page was good feelings and laughter and um, a, a girl that is supported by her family and in some ways her family isn't traditional obviously culturally that her mom is Peruvian and her father is uh, European American and Jewish and she's mixed in terms of her mother being Catholic and her father being Jewish and so it's interesting with world creation for books like these, that shows up in scenes, but it's natural. I don't have like, it's not like this book's lesson is this, or mm -hmm. I try not to be didactic because mm -hmm. in this form, I think students don't want that and readers don't want that. They want to enjoy. And then if the books do other work in the world, uh, then I'm thrilled. I want to, I like to think of myself as a literacy activist but also that books do cultural work, you know, because we see the kind of work video games do and we see, you know, the kind of work that's out there and books are, are different. They're a chance to kind of slow down from all of that. I, I love this idea that you bring up a books doing other work. And I like the idea that you've discussed putting her family together 
uh, avoiding the didacticism and that, you know, her parents are her parents and it's very matter of fact. So you're preserving in many ways um, the, for lack of a better term, and it really is for lack of a better term, the cosmetic simplicity of the story. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's clearly Lola, uh, the way you depict Lola, there's a lot going on in her brain. So did you construct a backstory for her that that helped you think about how she made choices and, and how you depicted that? Because um, I have this idea that Lola, perhaps because I think she does have a superpower, has has so many more stories going on in any one day than what you've depicted in in any one story. Does, did that make any sense? Oh, yeah, listeners. it does make sense. Um, I hope you just didn't hear me slurping my coffee on the video. I just want, on the recording. I just wanted to put that out there. We I did, and I was jealous. Did. We did. I was jealous. But we're going to continue on, because I want coffee now, okay, too. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, the thing that I love about Lola, there's a lot, this is also um, interesting in terms of technique, if there are writers listening. Um you know, we have first-person uh, perspective, and then we have her diaries, which are a little more of her privileged insight into what's going on in her mind, her diary entries. So they help a lot because she gets to release feelings, so the readers get to know her that way mm -hmm. in her diary entries. Then they get to see her out in the world when she explains her actual adventures and then they get to see the way words are, are actually a really powerful tool for her um, in the world and I wouldn't be a writer and I don't think you would be uh, in publishing if you didn't think so too and so she sometimes finds it easier to express in words how she feels like when she writes Juana note saying sorry, or when she uh, communicates to her teacher in a note saying she wants to be called Lola and not Dolores, or um, in, the, in the book four, which I don't want to give any spoilers, when she makes a pretty big mistake in choosing to put her happiness over her little brother's healthy choice. Um, she writes a letter to her parents expressing how much she learned from that and how she really regrets it. So I like that we have different ways to get to know the character. In action, her internal sort of monologue and diaries, and then the way she uses words that she calls pencil power. For example, when negotiating detentions with her principal. Um, <laughs> In her books, and then even in Lola Levine, Drama Queen, when she's so disappointed about the results of not, she gets the part of Squirrel 2 instead of the leading role, she writes to her bubby, her grandmother, who lives far away, and asks for outside help. And then sure enough, bubby comes to help her out. And so I like that because I've always... Um, encourage my girl to speak out. I mean, there's a school of thought in education that, of course, you want to respect teachers and respect authority figures, but I allow my children to use their mind and their logic to make cases, even with me. You know, like, I've honestly, when the kids were little, have woken up and they have put on a chalk, uh, chalkboard the reasons why we should go out to have breakfast. 
uh, and gave me a list. So they can be quite persuasive, and Lola's a persuasive girl. And instead of saying, obey, 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 I want to teach her, teach them how to have a little civil disobedience <laughs> at a young age. Now, I'm going to ask this weird question. Do you know Lola? I nothing left. <laughs> Do you know Lola better than she knows herself? I think I lo know Lola really well, and I would say I do indeed know her more than she knows herself because I can see when she's making a little mistake, when she meets, you know, Bella in Lola Levine in the ballet scheme, and she, she's immediately judging her because she's dressed head to toe in pink, and she's a ballerina, and she wants to, you know, kind of scoff at it, and then I know that she's going to grow when she actually gets to know Bella, her friend, and so I knew that that would happen in advance because I know very well because I have one daughter in a ballet company and another daughter who is deciding at this very moment if she wants to play collegiate uh, soccer I know that ballerinas and soccer players have an incredible amount in common. And so I get to have that privilege with Lola. Um, and it makes it a lot of fun because I think, I know, for example, and I happen to love dogs and, and cats, so I'm extremely allergic to cats and I know that Lola wants a pet wants a pet and I wanted one with such longing as a child but what I know and that Lola doesn't know is that her brother is going to be allergic to cats and so I can feel as I write the heartbreak that's coming and what her initial impulse to that heartbreak will be so thinking deeply ahead of time about the character uh, thinking about the character's personality, the, the the character's physical setting in a family, physical setting in a location, allows you to have the narrative logic, even in a restricted word count of a chapter book, to to have that character follow the logic of the plot so that it's psychologically and emotionally truthful so that kids can really Definitely. connect with it. Definitely, and I know her family well, too, so I know that, you know, and of course I draw from personal experience in different ways. I know that her father is an artist who works from home. I know that her mother is a Peruvian, uh, is a writer from Peru. Obviously, you know, there's some personal connections there, um, and while I haven't been a journalist in years, I my first job out of college was working for an American-owned newspaper in Guadalajara, Mexico. So I really experienced that life. So even though that will, those details will never come into a chapter book for children, it helps me create, I think, a family dynamic that is pretty, um, pretty realistic and. And I know what it's like for children to relate to parents and authority figures in different ways. I was that little girl who got into lots of trouble in the in the second grade. I had a teacher who was a, my nemesis in a way, and I was terrified of her. 
And I think this many years later, like 40 years later, I can say her name was Mrs. Ryan. <laughs> she had a big beehive hairdo. And I auditioned for, uh, I think, the choir to be in her group of singers. And she told me I was terrible and I couldn't be there. So when and so I would say Principal Blot has some things in common, but not nearly as much because <laughs> I also don't I also don't create like one dimensional figures. So even though there's some characters in the book like Ashley Goldstein and Michaela Miller that kind of tease and even to even bully Lola, she they're not just you know twirling their mustaches in a black cape and the principal Ms. Ms. Blot has moments of appreciation of Lola even as she's you know running down the hall and spilling her backpack and and getting in trouble so yeah so it's a world I know well and it is the only challenge I can tell you only once did I have to with Nikki Garcia's brilliant guidance she kind of said this either needs more or it needs to go. And I was limited by some word count and I wanted to have a scene in, in a story, but I realized if I had really given it all the attention it deserved, it would have been too long. So I saved it for another time. Yes. That, and that is the great thing is that we'll have more Lola stories to, 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 to yeah. show off. I, I will say that. And this was her trying to, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Lola and Ben trying to potty train their puppy so it would have been funny <laughs> ben thought he'd potty trained by example but with uh with the dog outside but anyway okay <laughs> and that's that's for another book that is for another book which i will read with glee the books gentle le readers are in the series are lola levine is not mean lola levine drama queen lola levine and the ballet scheme and soon to be unleashed upon the world, Lola Levine meets Jelly and Bean. Monica, thank you. Thank you so much, Victoria. And we'll see you all, gentle listeners across the universe, next time.